Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, May 1st, and we are talking about tech earnings. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's Evan New. Evan, what's going on over in Colorado, man? I have big plans this weekend to stay home and do nothing. <laughs> play some old video games, hang out with the kids. Yeah, it's kind of like a pinky in the brain type world, right? Where it's like, what are we doing? Same thing we always do. <laughs> yes, do nothing. <laughs> stay home, be safe. Yeah, I have a, I have a Zoom movie screening with some friends. I've been in like a weekly cadence doing Friday and Saturday nights uh, where we'll like watch a, a cool movie and then get on and talk about it afterwards. So that's that's my plan for Saturday. Going to be watching The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I'm excited about. haven't seen that yet. But you just got to kind of find fun ways to mix things up and make it feel like it's actually Friday and Saturday. Yeah, I think my daughter has some like similar type thing, like remote birthday party thing where they kind of watch something together. I forget what app they're using, but yeah, that's, you know, especially for kids, you know, they need their social outlets. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the the streaming services have been huge beneficiaries of, of all of this, um, if there are beneficiaries of this, uh, what we're dealing with in terms of the pandemic. Zoom, also, you know, a company that has come up quite a bit as, as someone who's really thriving and kind of on full display with all of this. Um, we're going to be talking today about another company that uh, probably belongs in that conversation, but hasn't gotten quite as much press. Uh, and that is Spotify, Evan. Um, so, you know, I, I think that so much of the focus has been on the video streamers, but the reality is people are also spending a lot of time listening to music and hanging out at home. Yeah. So Spotify reported first quarter earnings this week and, you know, a lot of the commentary that they described about what they're seeing on the platform uh, is kind of what you'd expect. You know, so people are shifting a lot of their music consumption patterns quite a bit in light of the the crisis and all these stay-at-home orders. You know, people aren't really commuting anymore. They're not really spending as so much time in the car, um, <clears throat> but you're spending a lot more time at home. So, you know, Spotify, for example, has for many years worked really hard to grow up this um, really big, this broad. Uh, portfolio partners where they they're available on basically any device you can imagine so they're seeing a big uptick in usage from uh, people streaming from their smart tvs from game consoles uh, less in the car less on their phones but overall yeah i mean yeah if you're stuck at home you know and you're tired of watching netflix you can stream some audio content like music or podcasts yeah the uh the thing that really stuck out to me when we were Going through the earnings and the shareholder letter was, you know, this this quote from management saying, you know, the the routines are changing. Every day now looks like the weekend, which is which is kind of a callback to how we opened up this show, Evan. Yeah, I mean, time is just blurring together. <laughs> the days are all just blurring together. So everyone's stuck at home, you know, and yeah, you're going to be listening to stuff in a different routine than you would under normal circumstances. Yeah, there's a company survey that got sent around too, uh, saying that in the U.S., uh, 40% of consumers are listening to more music to manage stress. I think everyone is just kind of looking for distractions. And you know, if you're already a Spotify member, you're already paying for it. You might as well enjoy it as much as you can. You know, if you're going to be around the house, play some music and, and hopefully relax a little bit. Um, of course, in addition to the commentary about what's going on with the business and how they're they're handling everything with COVID, we got some numbers when they released their earnings results. So revenue in the first quarter uh, increased 22% to 1.8 billion euros, which is just about $2 billion in 
U.S. dollars. Uh, and now <clears throat> premium subscribers have grown to 130 million, which was higher than what most people expected, but was in line with Spotify's guidance. So it was based at the high end of their guidance of what they expected. And as usual, we're seeing the family plan really continue to drive subscriptions. And Spotify has been testing, for the past like year, they've been testing this new plan called the Premium Duo Plan, which is basically for, you know, if you're two people that live together, and let's say you don't have kids or something, or don't have kids that use Spotify, it's a cheaper version of a family plan, because the regular family plan is for six people, but this one's for two. So they're kind of, you know, they're just continuing to test new product ideas, new service tiers, just to see what kind of sticks. Yeah, and folks that have heard us talk about this company before might remember that as we see some of this experimentation, this is the kind of thing that will affect the average revenue per user. You know, we we think about where they were a couple of years ago, and it was primarily an individually focused plan. Um, they are moving more and more to these collaborative plans, these family plans, uh, this duo plan for people who live together, um, and and all of those things have an impact on the actual amount of money they're collecting per user. Right, so you know that's a big reason why ARPU has been declining over the past few years. But you know they've also mentioned that that's the the flip side is that those plans have much higher retention, helps lower churn. Those customers tend to be just stickier and more loyal. So to them, it's worth any sacrifice in ARPU. And you know, for example, the premium family plan is fifteen bucks for six accounts. So you divide that out, that obviously comes out to a pretty low. Whereas this premium duo plan is like twelve fifty for two accounts. So the average there is a little bit higher. So you know they can certainly help mitigate some of that downside. Yeah, I'll be moving in with my girlfriend at the end of this month and you know, I think moving in is one step, but going on to the Spotify duo plan, that's that's a real <laughs> that's serious a commitment, commitment. commitment. I don't know. Sharing playlists, all that kind of stuff. I don't know sure. if I want to give her that creative control. Sure we'll Netflix see. accounts. <laughs> you have a we already have a good we already have a good situation right now. I've got Netflix, she has Hulu, I've got Prime. We're we're checking all the boxes. We just need someone with Disney Plus and then we're good. Um yeah, so uh, as as you might expect with a business that has some exposure to advertising, um, there is a little bit of a hit here for Spotify, but thankfully, uh, it is not a big one because for the most part, people are paying for the service, and that's where most of the money is coming from. Right. So the the coronavirus has kind of hurt ad spending across the board across many industries, and we've seen that play out in to some in varying degrees with other companies that have been reporting recently. So <clears throat> their ad business has been hurt a little bit, but yeah, to your point, yeah. You know, that's you know, ads are like ten percent of the business. So you know the bulk of this business, which is subscriptions, remains very healthy. But that being said, ad-supported monthly active users have now grown to one hundred and sixty-three million. So there's still a pretty large user base that really you know, enjoys that free tier. Yeah, and in addition to the the ad part of the business, I mean they are getting bit a little bit in some of the geographies where COVID was particularly strong and where it was uh, particularly impactful for the populations, and and that's really specifically Italy uh, and Spain where they saw some consumption decline, and I think they saw some daily active user decline as well. But I think all in all, given the circumstances, the business is doing pretty well. Right. So the, the, what they've seen is as those countries that have been hit really hard start to kind of recover and, and get you know improve and make progress with fighting the disease they've seen uh, a kind of a similar uh, bounce back in engagement as people kind of you know need to listen to music again <laughs> um, a couple other numbers that stuck out to us uh, we saw some updates on gross margin got a little bit of an update as well on the long-term plan with podcasts Evan you want to dive into that so gross margin was at the high end of guidance uh, it was at 25.5%, which they said was due to core royalty component mix, which on the call, they actually elaborated a little bit. Um, it's actually not um, 
benefiting from like this incremental shift towards podcasting, but actually it's just kind of mixed shift within within the subscription base of like you know the mix of family versus individual versus premium, uh, and uh, operating expenses were up. Uh, you know, Spotify continues to invest in R and D things like that, uh, but so the operating expenses actually came in below guidance because you know if you think about some of the production halts around some of this content they're saving a little bit of money there and they're also slowing their hiring plans for this year due to all the kind of macroeconomic uncertainties here yeah and 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 i think that podcasts are such an interesting part of this business because as we've talked about on the past uh, episodes that we've done you know this is something that really could dramatically change the cost profile for this company um and and give them something that they control rather than having to pay licensing fees so you know they have to put the money out up front maybe for the production of these shows but then they are able to enjoy uh spreading that fixed cost out over more usage and not having it tie into some of the licensing agreements that they have in place so so that's certainly one of the big levers to watch. The other one, I think, is their ad ambitions, which I don't know if we got nearly as much color on, but but it seems as though uh, the podcast stuff is moving along as as much as it can. Right. So they said that podcast consumption is growing at triple digits, probably coming off a small base, but you know, still a good data point and useful for investors. And uh, they said that nearly twenty percent of users are now listening to podcasts, which you know that's a pretty high proportion of people that are at least engaging to some extent. And they did also make a change to this, how they're Speaking of the podcast costs that you were mentioning, uh, they're tweaking how they're handling some of the accounting of it. So basically, they previously up until now have been allocating all revenue and costs associated with podcasts kind of between both the premium and the free segments. But now they're basically saying, no, we're just going to shift all of it to the the ad side. So all podcast revenue, all podcast costs are all going to be allocated into the ad supporters free tier. Doesn't impact the overall gross margins at the airport, but you know, they're kind of shifting around. So the, I think that actually might even suggest that you know we've talked about their ambitions when it comes to podcast advertising, and that could just be a sign that hey, they they really are going to make that their focus when it comes to monetization. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Evan, because when that acquisition happened with with Ringer and when they've made some of these other podcast related acquisitions, you know, one of the thoughts was, okay, are they going to create this really robust suite of kind of membership only podcasts? You know, are they going to go with the Netflix model where you have to pay us in order to access this original content? Or are you going to make it available for free, but maybe make it ad-free for your members? And that's certainly something that a lot of people were sensitive to because they were acquiring existing shows. And so these were shows that had fan bases already that were highly engaged. So in addition to everything they were going to launch, you know, you wonder what's going to happen in terms of listener behavior. Um, it, it seems as though they are going to go with a primarily freemium model and make most of it available. There might be something behind the paywall, but not much. Right. I mean, the, overall, I mean, they have also said that, you know, the podcast engagement is really helping drive conversion towards paid users, too. So, you know, I think all, you know, all told, these these types of content and different, you know, monetization models are all, vir- they all kind of feed into each other. You know, they're all pretty highly complementary. So I think that all parts of this business are really all working well together overall. And we managed to see Spotify even eke out some income. Not not something that we're too used to. They they did do it a couple uh, quarters ago, but I think that was related to uh, an investment stake that they had. Um, but a very very small net income to show for this quarter. That's not really the focus though for this business at this time. 
Right, so they they had a one million euros, which <laughs> is a cool one, or which you know translates to one point one million dollars. But when you divide it out, it actually turns into a net loss per share of point two euros, uh, and that's just because their net loss diluted net loss figure incorporates some fair value losses on some warrants, which is not too important. But uh, they were able to be technically be profitable. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean that's not the the concern that most people have at this point. You know, if if you're buying shares of Spotify, you're doing it because of the long term growth story. You're not doing it because of short term profitability. Right, and you know, in looking forward, they ha- also had some pretty nice guidance. They expect total premium subscribers in the second quarter to reach 133 to 138 million, and total users of you know close to two uh, starting to approach 300 million. So that should translate into revenue of uh, roughly flat, uh, about 1.8 billion euros or so, which is about $2 billion. Um, in addition to talking Spotify today, uh, this is kind of coincidental, but we'll be talking about their chief rival as well, at least in the music streaming space, and that's Apple. Uh, their earnings came out yesterday, so we had to scramble a little bit to get on top of these. Um, but I think a pretty solid quarter for everything that's going on in the world, Evan. Yeah, I mean, of all the companies that are, you know, cer- some are certainly more vulnerable to COVID than others, and some are more resilient. And Apple really proved that its business can really st- withstand. I mean, Apple's business is so massive, and it's all over the world that, you know, they're a little bit more stable in that sense. As you know, this this crisis hits countries in different degrees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for them. They had to make some pretty interesting decisions about what they were going to do with their retail operations. Obviously, it's a super disruptive thing for their supply chain. But looking at the numbers, company eked out revenue growth. Uh, they posted a total of just over $58 billion, which was ahead of estimates of $55 billion. You go down to the bottom line, net income of just over $11 billion, which was slightly down from $11.5 billion the year prior, but ahead of estimates. Um, so, so I think with everything going on, and, and you know, they had done some signposting saying that this was going to be a disruptive thing, um, you have to be pretty happy about this as a shareholder. Now, you start diving into the sum of the segments that they had. Uh, iPhone revenue growth was struggling a little bit, but thankfully, services came in and bailed them out. Right, so services hit a new record of thirteen point three billion. Um, but yeah, I think it was pretty interesting to hear them talk about how this crisis has impacted them, or, or more specifically, how they've been able to kind of manage it. Because the impact actually hasn't been as bad as you would think for a company that like, that has their supply chain so concentrated in China. You know, they said there was a period of a few weeks where it got really bad. And, and the shutdowns really hurt production, and demand obviously has been hurt. But they were able to bounce back pretty quickly. And I think at the end of March, they said that they're already at like typical levels of, of production, which is pretty impressive. You know, to overcome a shock this big, uh, at least on the supply side, uh, within just a matter of weeks. It was you know probably three, four, five weeks, and now they're basically back to where they were. So now the the question shifts to how is demand being impacted in all these other markets that are struggling to deal with this virus. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think their retail operations in China are open again, and I think they have retail one, maybe one retail operation in Korea that's open right now too. Um, but they were able to reopen those locations, which which is a little surprising given everything that's going on in the world. Um, but uh, I think that maybe that portion of their business rebounded a little bit faster than people were expecting it to. Yeah, so retail definitely uh, in China has been reopened, and as other countries around the world just are dealing with this in different ways, uh, you know they're kind of looking at it at a local level and trying to reopen stores, and that obviously hurts their retail business. But they've you know, they they actually include online orders with retail, so you know all the people staying at home just buying ordering stuff from home uh, are still being kind of included in what what they consider retail. 
And, and I think that all of this is kind of a case in point for why the services business is so compelling for them. You know, the, the idea that you can totally sidestep physical goods and physical distribution of those goods with retail locations and instead deliver digital products to your existing installed base, um, not only is it high margin, but it's something that doesn't really have to deal with any supply chain disruptions. And for something that is so dependent on global supply chain, that, that's pretty appealing. Right. And that actually, there's an interesting dynamic happening as the mix shifts from products to services this quarter. Because, you know, over the holidays, obviously, people buy tons of hardware products to give for gifts and over the holidays and what have you. But then when you come off of the fourth quarter, you have this seasonal loss of leverage on the product side of it. So gross margin on the products actually fell like four percentage points nearly four full percentage points, but the services side grew, grew and kind of made up for it. And the net result was that gross margin was about flat sequentially, which is actually pretty impressive when you're talking about coming off, you know, losing so much leverage uh, over the holidays. So they're really, you know, pushing full steam ahead with the services business and they now have 515 million paid subscriptions, which is up 35 million during the quarter, which is acceleration because they've been doing 30 million a quarter for over two years. So now we're seeing that growth rate in the subscriptions finally tick higher a little bit as they've been introducing more and more first-party services. We have like Apple Arcade, Apple TV Plus, uh, plus third-party subscriptions. You know, that business is just really booming. And of course, we also got a little bit of an update on what's going on with the capital return program. Um, and, and there's an only with this update on the buybacks, but I think it's still a pretty staggering number, Evan. Yeah, so they added $50 billion to the share repurchase authorization, uh, which most analysts thought they were going to do more just because you know the, the valuation is pretty good and you know they still have all this cash. Um, so people thought that was a little bit lower than expected, but at the same time, you know, Apple pointed out that they still have $40 billion left on the current authorization. So you add 50, it brings them to a total available of $90 billion, which is plenty. And uh, I mean, for reference, the last two years, they did 75 and then 100. So, you know, they're pulling back a little bit, but they still got plenty of authorization to work through, and they they update the program every year. So basically, ninety billion dollars will probably be plenty to to last them for the next year. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting as we're seeing all these businesses navigate, you know, the pandemic and and how disruptive it is for their their operations, is that you know you have these capital return programs, these buybacks, and these dividend programs that people have gotten very used to, especially in the case of Apple. Um, and then you also have, you know, the more short-term staffing considerations that these companies have to make. And I think it would be easy to to look at a fifty billion dollar share authorization and say, well, you know, what what are you guys doing for your employees? Um, and Apple is actually one of the companies I think that has navigated this pretty well. You know, they they, to my knowledge, have not really furloughed anybody. Um, there was there was some guidance that Tim Cook offered in mid-March, talking about how they were going to be closing a lot of their retail stores. And um, I think they continue to pay people. The, the quote that I have from that statement is, they will continue to receive pay in alignment with business and usual operations, referring to their hourly employees. So I think that they were able to kind of successfully do a little bit of both. And maybe that's something that they have the privilege of because they have so much cash. Um, but this is very different than the narrative that we saw with Disney, where Disney was saying, you know, we're furloughing a ton of our employees. Bob Iger decided he's going to put his salary on pause. But no no issues with them maintaining their dividend program it's it's interesting to see the calculus that these companies are making yeah it's, it's been 
it's getting pretty political too with some of these criticisms because you know if you're a company that's struggling during this crisis and you're getting this big bailout from the government but you've been buying back your stock all these years and now, and now that's the reason why you don't have enough cash to survive without a bailout and you can't pay your people then yeah i think there's a, a lot of criticism around that but yeah to your point you know apple is just they're they're different and they're lucky because they just have so much money they can do all of it like they can pay their employees they can do right by their employees they can offer a good paid sick leave policies they can pay the retail workers when they're not even going to work they can still give back 50 billion dollars to shareholders they can still invest heavily in r&d they can still you know they and they still have money left over after that so like just having that much money i think gives them a, a pass when it comes to some of these criticisms because it's not as if apple's going to need a, a government bailout <laughs> Yeah, Apple has and, more money than the government. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, even if they if they had less cash on the balance sheet and they had to start making some hard choices, you know, as a shareholder, I would be okay with them saying we're suspending the dividend for a year. You know, and it they're they're not a dividend aristocrat. That's not why people are buying the stock. And actually, the same is true for Disney. That Disney is not a dividend aristocrat. Um, and the yields are like I think Disney's is like sub two percent. I think Apple's in the same territory. Um, so I, I will I will say it's going to be really interesting to watch how companies handle that because uh, Apple seems to be doing a really great job of having their cake and eating it too, and they're in, they're in a position of luxury to be able to do that. But I wonder if more businesses will look at the ire that that Disney got because they decided to prioritize more shareholder friendly things and less employee friendly things. And maybe decide that it's better to suspend their dividend and keep their employees on staff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really tricky thing to navigate when it comes to the perception of these things. Um, because, yeah, there's a lot of pushback for these these giant corporations. And I think there's a little bit of a populist movement going on with like people criticizing yeah, people with the amount of job losses that we're seeing, and then if the company prioritizes their corporate capital structure and their shareholders over just individual people, I think that's kind of a really hard thing to navigate with when it comes to the messaging and the, and the optics of it all. Yeah, and and I think you know to some extent we're a little guilty of um, praising buybacks. You know, I, I think that we look at it as something that you know if a company thinks that they are undervalued and they are in it for the long term and they're trying to reduce their share count. And do more than just offset dilution. You know that's something that we tend to look at as a, a good thing if we're looking to hold these shares for ten plus years. And I think if you look at Apple's track record, it's been fantastic. You know they they have just been up and to the right with their share price. And so pretty much every buyback decision they've made, almost every share they've bought back has been accretive to shareholders. Um, but I do wonder how all of this will impact our perception of that and certainly the public's perception of that because um, if you have these businesses getting bailed out who uh, instead bought back a lot of shares, you, you, you start to wonder about the capital allocation decisions that they're making and, and whether there should be some more strings, tied, strings attached to that kind of thing. Right, exactly. And then I think the one of the bailout programs does put a string attached where if you're getting government money, you can't buy back your stock for a certain period of time. But yeah, it, it is just it's. I think it's on a case by case basis. You got to look at each company and say were they being responsible? Because the the big issue is now that these companies have maybe gone a little bit too far with some of the buybacks if they can't afford it, and also and also still have enough cash to do all these other things. So I think that's kind of where. You know, these criticisms are really valid in, in some cases, but in others, you know, like Apple, it's like, oh, they have so much cash, they can do whatever. But if a company's been doing it a little bit too much, which, you know, is going to be an objective argument, then I think that there's some, you know, some validity there.
Yeah. And, and I think that this could start to enter the consciousness of, you know, SRI investing or ESG investing, however you want to label it. Um, you know, people intentionally looking for companies that are going above and beyond and really taking care of employees. It, it might be something where people look back at how companies handled this period and say, well, you were prioritizing shareholders over employees. And maybe that's something that I don't want in my portfolio. So TBD. But I, I do think it's telling to look at how management teams are handling this period. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a crazy time so I think how people make these tough decisions will definitely, you know, say a lot about them. We're going to end today's show on a light note because that got a little heavy there, Evan. Uh we uh we were talking about how we were doing some smoking on uh on last week's show. I I was talking about how I did some smoked chicken legs and I know Austin is a regular meat smoker and likes to get out in the backyard and do that. And I just want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Tom, who wrote in with a maple smoked salmon recipe and a smoked lamb chops recipe. Um, and I am I am pretty excited to give one of these a shot, particularly the smoked lamb chops, because the, the hidden ingredient here is a quarter cup of oyster sauce, which I think is super interesting. I've never seen anything like that before. Um, Austin, have you ever run into anything like that when you're looking at smoker recipes? I have not. Uh, I'm not a big lamb chop guy, <clears throat> but I definitely would try the maple salmon. That sounds really good. I got a... <laughs> Memphis-style dry rib rib recipe coming your way, Tom. (laughs) I love it. Um, And and we love hearing about how people are spending time with family and doing stuff at home during uh, the self-imposed quarantine or the stay-at-home orders. So if you have anything fun to share, please write in. I'd love to share it with people. I think people are just kind of looking for fun stories. Um, And it sounds like Austin will be going and doing the maple smoked salmon. I might hop in and try out the smoked lamb chop recipe because that sounds pretty awesome. Might have some good weather. So if I can find lamb chops in the store, Tom, I'm on it and I will let you know how it goes. Evan, thanks so much for hopping on today's episode, man. I hope you have a nice, uh, hope you have a nice weekend. I hope it's eventful rather than (laughs) uneventful. (laughs) Yeah, you too, man. (laughs) Um, listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of industry focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, Hey, shoot us an email over at industry focus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MF industry focus. In addition to show stuff, just a great spot to send us recipes if that's what you're into. And if you want more stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. I own Apple. I think Evan owns Apple and Spotify. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So, no part sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. It's Friday. You know what that means. We're playing things out with checks and balances by full-time Fool, Burke, and Graffia. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. I've got a million dollars. It's hypothetical. Large amount in my bank account. It's parenthetical. The money I'm made of is theoretical, so in theory I've got it good. My fat wallet is on a diet. My balance sheet is lopsided. My income statement is keeping silent, but let's keep one thing understood. I need checks. I need balances. Life's a mess. With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money or do you do it for love? My cold hard cash is soft and tropical My deep pockets are merely topical I hit the big time, it was microscopical But don't you get it, I am no fool I own a bank 
I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon He got a little wiggy Cracked him open What a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery I'm cashing in on triple coupons Soup kitchen's calling Saying the soup's on I sing for my supper And get my groove on I still know how to have fun I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love Always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser Is the miser Always lives in misery I own a bank I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon He got a little wiggy Cracked him open What a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love?